Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. Morning, everyone. I'm going to say another prayer for us. So, Father, I thank you for this afternoon. I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come here, shape us, mold us. God, come conform us to be the leaders that you've called us to be in the season you've called us in. Lord, I pray today, Holy Spirit, would you give us through your word, through the word of God, would you give us all that we need to fulfill the call on our life? Would you give us wisdom and revelation, understanding of your heart, God, today? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so <clears throat> I'm going to be going through the book of Titus today, and it's going to be a three-part um, series, so we're going to go one chapter at a time through the book of Titus. So today is the first chapter, and I'm really excited to jump in. I've been reading um, the pastoral letters a lot, our epistles, which epistle just means a letter. Um, those are First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus, and I felt God really highlight Titus specifically as a book I went to teach on, and so we're going to dig into it. There's a lot of similarities within Titus and actually Timothy, um, but one of the, th- the reason they call it the pastoral letters is, in fact, it was written by Paul to pastors, and both of these pastors, Timothy and Titus, are spiritual sons of Paul, and that's part of why I really enjoy the letter, because you're getting a father's writing to a son. like It gives you a glimpse into their relational dynamic, and I'm going to bring you into that today to kind of see how Paul and Titus, how they moved and worked together. And I really believe it's, it's such a critical reality, this spiritual moms and dads and spiritual sons and daughters. Like I believe this is the way the church is really meant to be structured. It's a family. And if you've been around here that long, you know that we use this term a lot because we believe God has made church to be a family. It, and and it's a different it's a different dynamic than many of us were brought up in. I um I have some of this um, understanding has actually come to me through my own life. Um, so my father he ran a refrigeration company, did commercial refrigeration for forty maybe fifty years. Um, I forget how long he did it, um, but he was in that business. He owned his own company, and he was preparing me as his son to take over that business. And, um, well, here I am. I didn't, I wasn't called, but, um, but the analogy is still going to be good. So stay with me. So, so basically as, you know, as his son, his father ran the company and owned the company, he owned the company. And so he brings me in, um, you know, as a kid to, I mean, they had a whole building and I mean, as a kid, it was fantastic. There was like tons of work trucks, right? These big trucks and they all have like tools inside of them that you can, you know, throw at your, your siblings. And so we would go in and just play around as kids. And, and the cool thing was because your dad's the boss, right? Like you can just do whatever the heck you want. And so you go in there and all the guys, they're kind of, you know, they're just normal employees and they're complaining or they're, they're saying this and they're saying that. And I just go in and like grab, you know, Dr. Pepper's out of the fridge. There's like a whole snack bag. I just grab all the snacks I want and just there's like a check mark, so I mark a check off my dad's name for every snack I ate. But it was, it was a free-for-all, you know, because I'm, I'm the son, and this is my dad's business, and I own everything that I see, right? 
all the trucks are mine, all, everything is mine. And so it was a really, like, I, I get, like, the difference of being a son versus being an employee, right? I could see the employees. I could see how they cared, how they thought about the establishment. But for me, like, it was all mine, and, and, I, and, and I, had, I had my father's heart. Like, that's why he wanted to raise me up to, to run the business, right? Like, I had his heart, his intentions. I had his very DNA in me. And so he was grooming me, preparing me to do that, and alas, I did not. But, um, but you, get, you get the idea. Like, God wants to build a family where there's spiritual moms and dads who, instead of raising up employees in the church or employee, like, you're raising up sons and daughters because there's a mutual, there's a mutual heart for each other, and it's not this competitive power trip, hierarchical sort of thing. It, it's family. This is ours, and, and, and he is ours. And so we come and we behold Jesus together. And as his kids, then we can be spiritual moms and dads. And you see, then the, then the sons and daughters, they start to understand how to be fathers and mothers. And it's this beautiful cycle that develops in a healthy church. And so you, you see this laid out in the scriptures themselves. And I feel like in the West, perhaps we've got a little too corporate a little too churchy, and not enough family. <laughs> I just made that up. Um, <laughs> So I want to just jump in real quick to, to this model that I see, um, and I see it really like pronounced in these letters. Um, if you look, let's turn with me to Titus chapter 1. Um, we're going to be starting in verse 1. Before we read it, just to give a little context on Titus, it's written by Paul while Paul is in prison for the second time. Um, it's written to his spiritual son, Titus, who was in Crete. Um, so Crete is an island in Greece, it's the biggest island. It's like southeast of Crete, or southeast of Greece, rather. He wrote this book in around 64 AD, right near the end of Paul's life. He died about three years later. And the context of Paul and, and Titus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to articulate it further because it's not really clear. Um, but you see it in bits and pieces scattered throughout the New Testament. But you have to go digging to find it. Um, so just to give a quick overview of Titus, chapter 1 is Paul's direction to Titus. So his commissioning of Titus in Crete, and he's giving instructions for elders. That's what we're going to talk about today. Chapter 2 describes these, the new household of God. Now in Christ, there's, there's a structure, there's a beautiful household that God wants to build. And he talks about different roles of older women, younger women, older men, younger men. And so that's laid out in the second chapter. The last chapter, the new humanity. There's a whole new humanity that we get to partake in in Christ. We're a new creation, and we get to walk in the works and the acts of, of another kingdom, as we're singing this morning. And so that's chapter 3. So starting with chapter 1, starting at verse 1, here we go. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. That leads to godliness. I'll read that one again. A servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, the truth, that leads to godliness. So even in this opening section, Paul is saying to, to Titus, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. Remind you who I am. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's transformed me. He's shaped me. And my goal is to strengthen the faith of God's elect. So there's an elect that God has called, and I'm a minister of Jesus Christ because of my faith in him, and I'm here to strengthen the faith of God's elect. So he's acknowledging that essentially his calling rests upon his faith. We were singing about that this morning as well. He's acknowledging that God elects certain people, 
I'm not going to go into that, but that's a whole thing. He's acknowledging that God's revelation knowledge is the truth. The truth. In this day and age, just like in that one, to say a statement like that was a big statement. When you tell somebody, there is a truth. Revelation knowledge of God, of Jesus Christ, is the truth. Go say that in the subway and see how people respond to you. It's, it's abrasive then, it's abrasive now. The truth. And what does this truth do? It leads to something. It, it does something in a person. It leads to godliness. So you know you're operating in truth if you see godliness in your life. And if there's not godliness in your life, then I don't know what truth you're believing. But it's not Jesus' truth. It's not the truth. And so, so this is what he, he's laying out in the very first verse. Uh, verse 2. In the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which now, at his appointed season, he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God, our Savior. So he's saying, I'm an apostle because of my faith, and I have a goal to build up faith in those of God's elected. I'm also an apostle because of my hope. Paul has a hope in eternal life. And I preached about this term hope back last year because I really love the term and I think it's very much misused. In our culture, when we think of hope, we think, I hope the Jets get Aaron Rodgers, you know? Maybe you do. I really don't care. But, like, I, you, you, a hope is, like, something you generally, like, you, you're wishful for, right? But in, in the Bible and Scripture, hope is something that is certain. It is a certainty. It is an anchor for the soul. And so when he's saying, I have hope in eternal life, it doesn't really, in our culture, it doesn't really bear the weight that it would, that it should. He has a hope that Jesus will come and return and complete. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth, and that all things will be brand new, and that he'll wipe every tear from every eye, and that we'll see God as he truly is, and we'll look like him, and we'll gaze upon him, and, and we'll get to rule and reign in, in the new Jerusalem. It's like that all that is when he's saying, I have a hope in eternal life. It's packaged in there. And it's so dynamic, and we just kind of skip over it, and we don't think a whole lot about it. Um, but that's the hope that he's talking about. Now, this hope, he says, it, it has been promised before the beginning of time. Okay? Promised before the beginning of time. And it's been now, in this time, revealed. It's been revealed to Paul. And now Paul is revealing it to Titus. And Titus is revealing it to those in Crete. And Crete, the Cretans are revealing it to whoever they want to reveal it to. It's like the, the, the timing component, don't miss that here. It, it was given before the beginning of time, but it's just now been revealed. And so Paul is feeling the urgency of his hour, the urgency of his call. And I believe that's bearing weight on Titus, his spiritual son. And so he's laying this out and, he, and he's, it's, once again, I, I think it, it's probably hitting some buttons that we don't have sort of in, uh, in the 21st century. Um, but they would have felt in, in their time. You know, he says here in the opening part, he says too that this is a God who is who does not lie. So in that time, Greek mythology, they had Zeus actually was supposed to have lived on the island of Crete um, by, you know, by the, the mythology they believed. And you, you had a God who kind of looked like the people and kind of, you know, a, a God who was not very faithful or not very true. And he said, no, this God, my God, Savior, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, he is true and he does not lie. 
And he promised this before the world began, and he will fulfill every bit of it. Some of you are going to preach this on the streets. Some of you did yesterday, and it was great, I heard. So he's using this word, Savior. And he uses it, we'll, we'll go to this as we go through the text. In every chapter, Paul mentions God as Savior, and he mentions Jesus Christ as Savior. All, very close to each other in all three chapters. Why is he doing that? Well, one of the th- there is a Trinitarian component here where he's saying Jesus is God, and there's God the Father, and both are Savior. They're separate, but they're one. And, but he's also, he's, it's also a political term at the time. So Caesar, you know, the, who started the Roman Empire, like, he was known as the Savior, the Savior of the world. And Nero, who was, who was just now coming in charge over the Roman Empire around in 60 AD time, he, was, he defined himself as Savior and Lord. And so Paul is saying, no, 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 no. No. The Savior is God. Jesus Christ is God and is the Savior. There's one Savior, not these false political saviors. No, they promise a lot, but they don't deliver. This God, he promises and he fulfills. And so he, there's, there's some strong verbiage that, I mean, Paul's bringing it out right from the beginning of this letter. This letter. All right, I'm going to go to Titus 4. I'm going to read verse, or Titus 1, verse 4 through 5. Who is Titus? All right, let's get into that. To Titus, my true son, in our common faith. So many believe that Paul led Titus to the Lord in Antioch. Um, he's calling him his true son. That's the verbiage he used. Grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Savior. Once again, there's a Savior. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. All right, so here's Titus's marching orders. His orders are to put things in order that are unfinished and to appoint elders in every town as directed. So you got the apostolic leader, Paul, giving a directive to his spiritual son, Titus, in a letter that's public and saying, this is what I'm calling you to do. I've authorized you to do this. Go and appoint leaders. Go and appoint elders. Now, just to give a, a little background on Titus. So Titus we know um, was Greek. We know he was a Gentile, and we believe he was saved in Antioch. Um, but he, he's on an interesting journey. So if you turn with me, Galatians 2, there's just bits and pieces of Titus's name kind of scattered in the New Testament, and we're going to read one of those. Galatians 2, verse 1 through 3. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem. This is Paul writing to the church in Galatia. The time, this time with Barnabas, and I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with, the esteem, with those esteemed as leaders, and I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. So catch this, Titus, young believer, he gets grabbed by Paul and Barnabas, taken to this massive church meeting. Like this is the church meeting of all church meetings. You've got the apostles, you've got the elders of Jerusalem, you've got a whole council gathering at Jerusalem. And what they're trying to figure out, you can, you can read about it in Acts 15. They're trying to understand what to do with what God's pouring out. How many of you know a lot of church leaders, including those here, we're trying to understand what to do with what God's pouring out right now. 
God's doing something right now in our time, in our day and age, and we're like, God, give us wisdom. We want to understand how, how do we structure, how do we adjust because of what you're doing. So they bring Titus in on the meeting, and he's, he's standing there, and the problem is the Spirit of God, it's, not, it's a good problem to have, the Spirit of God's pouring out on non-Jews, on Gentiles, and they're all coming into the kingdom, and they're speaking in tongues, and they're moving in the gifts of the Spirit, and so Paul and Barnabas come to them and they say, hey, like, this is what's going on. We need wise counsel. We're going to bring the gospel that we're preaching and the people, we're going to even bring some of them. So they bring Titus. He's the prime example. Here's a Greek Gentile man, saved, filled with the spirit, walking in, walking in signs and wonders, presumably. And so here he is in this council. How many of you know that meeting must have marked him substantially? To be in a meeting of that magnitude and to see basically what the conclusion was, James, who led the church in Jerusalem, stands up and says, hey, what we're seeing right now, this is Amos 9. This is Amos 9.11. This is the, the tabernacle of David being rebuilt. This is Gentiles coming into the kingdom. We need to welcome these people in. We need to make concessions so that they can come in and not be weighed down by some of the Jewish traditions. We can't put some of these things on them. We need to make sure that they are welcome in the house of God. We're in a season right now, I'm telling you, when there's people that are coming into our house that we're going to need wisdom to know how to create space for them, to say, there's a space here for you. If you're new here today and you don't even know, like, you've never been in a church like this, or you, like, there's space here for you, even in the midst of whatever you're going through. Because these were odd people to the, to the Jew, based on the Jewish culture, these Gentiles are coming in, but James is saying, no, by the Holy Spirit, this is supposed to happen, and we need to make room for them at the table. So this is, to me, one of Titus's key moments in his life, seeing this, being around this. And I would encourage you, if you want to be a leader in the body of Christ, you need to be around councils like Titus was around. He could do the things he did because he was rubbing elbows with these mighty men and women of God. And, and so we think we, we aspire to these great things, but are we connected, relationally connected with leaders in the body of Christ that we trust? that are, can be spiritual moms and dads for us. Because YouTube ain't going to cut it. Like, it's really not. Your YouTube teacher is not going to be your spiritual mom and dad. I'm sorry. Like, if they are, that's going to be, the discipline's going to be pretty, pretty, you know, minimal. <laughs> How's that going to work? How are you going to be built up in the faith with a YouTube preacher? You're not. Like, it serves a function, but that's not the way the church is supposed to function. All right, so Titus, he's, he's marked by that meeting. He travels with Paul all over the place. So he goes to Asia Minor, Macedonia, Syria, um, he, to Corinth. And so in, if you read the book Corinthians, first or second, first one particularly, you see there's a lot of issues in that church. They were moving in amazing gifts, but man, they, were, they, were, they had a lot of problems. There was idolatry, there was incest, there was... All sorts, of, all sorts of vile, wicked things were happening, and all sorts of divisions were forming among them. So Paul, he's not there anymore, and he's trying to figure out, like, you, know, you just think of him praying through how to, like, solve this problem with the Corinthian church. And what, is, what does he end up with? What is, like, what's his solution? Well, I, I tell you, one of them, he calls upon his spiritual son, Titus. Titus, you were at the council. Titus, you've been traveling with me. You've been walking alongside me as my trusted son. Would you go to this church that I love and cherish and bring this hard letter and come and, and disciple them and bring order and structure and love them through their challenges to make them stable, to make them a light to shine out through, through all of Asia Minor from this place? Would you do that? 
I could just see him having that sort of conversation. And Titus, he signs up. See, Titus, I believe, I love Titus because I, he, I believe he had a heart for his spiritual father, Paul. And I believe because of that, he would just do whatever, whatever had to be done. He'd go in to the hornet's nest and make things right. And he was successful. If you see 2 Corinthians, there was a big shift in the church. And I believe Titus was probably dynamically connected to what God did there. So, so anyway, we're talking, Titus is little, little known, but I think he's, I think he's famous in heaven. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 just gives us a little more context. Um, chapter 8, verse 17. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 17. It says, For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. See, Titus grew into the, this leader, this, this man of God who could administrate even very challenging circumstances because he was close with his spiritual dad and he learned and he grew in favor with God and with favor with men. And so I aspire to that and I believe many of you here are in the same boat as I am. If you look in uh, same chapter, verse 23, 823, as for Titus, he is my partner and coworker among you. So what a deep connection, what a deep bond he had with Paul. He had a vision for what Paul had a vision for. And because of that, I believe he actually had a clarity for the time that he lived in. See, I believe spiritual sons and daughters, it, we, we will have clarity for the times because we're not trying to figure it out based on our own minds. We're coming underneath mothers and fathers who have deeper wisdom, deeper insight. And some of the most profound things that have ever happened to me in my encounter with the, in my walk with God have come because I prayed the prayers Bill and Tammy and Sal and Jules prayed. Prayed the prayers, do the things they do. And all of a sudden, boom, it, it, like, like God moves, like God shifts something, God messes me up. Like, not because I just went and did the stuff. It's because I got underneath leaders that were spiritual moms and dads. And they're doing the stuff, and they're seeing things I can't see. So I want to call you today. You need spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers. If you feel called to be a spiritual mom and dad, and you don't have a spiritual mom and dad, like, forget about it. Like, honestly, like, like you're not going to, you, maybe you could disciple and lead, but you're not going to have, not going to be dynamic. You're not going to walk in wisdom, and you might not run the race the way you will when those have gone before you, when you're, you're walking with them, you're seeing the potholes they jumped over and you're not falling in. All right, so I'm gonna keep moving on. So now later in this section, um, we're getting into the elder roles, all right? So he's saying, Titus, raise up these elders. And now he's gonna give more definition for what an elder should look like and how they should live. And uh, so Titus chapter one, verse six now. We just continue to read verse six. Fun fact, do you, nobody knows fully how the gospel got to Crete, how this church, how these it was even established. But we do know from Acts 2 that there were those from Crete that were there during the outpouring. <laughs> so when, at, when the Holy Spirit fell on Pentecost, there were those from Crete that were in the crowd that spoke in their tongue in Greek, and they took it back, we're assuming, um, to Crete. And so that, is, that was the starting point probably for the church in Crete. Pretty cool. Um, all right, verse six, here we go. An elder must be blameless. That's the first one. That's a big one. Blameless. Isn't it, if you think of an elder, would that be the first thing that came out of your and my mouth? I don't, I don't think it would be mine, but it's a good, it's a good, it's just good to like read it fresh. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. 
Don't stick around after church on Sunday to see my kids wild and disobedient. You'd be like, he can't serve as an elder. No, they're pretty, they're great kids. Um, verse seven, since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless again, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. I call these the elder attitudes. These are the elder attitudes that each and every one of us should aspire to. Whether you're an elder or not, you should aspire to these attitudes. If you want to be an elder and you're not doing these attitudes, your name's not going to get called. I can tell you that. Like, it, it's the, this is the life. that it, It's a life, a blameless life to live if you want to impact, the, if you want to bring the kingdom of God on the earth and impact anywhere you're called, not just the church. We're Christians called all over this city. If you want to be an elder in your workplace, you want to be an elder in your family, operate under the elder attributes, elder attitudes, whatever. I just changed how I'm, I called it, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I think that's going to stick. I'm going to start using that. So this whole idea of eldership, where does this come from? Uh, Moses institutes this in Numbers 11. Numbers 11, 16 through 17. And in that moment, he takes, he's exhausted. He's doing all these things. Some of the power that he has God puts you on those that he prays for, right? He lays hands on these 70 elders and distributes his, the spirit of God on him is distributed on them and they can bear the weight of leadership and they can bring order and bring wisdom and wise counsel to the various places in Israel. So that's, that's where this role sort of starts. Now that term, the term, the Greek term is kathisteme, kathisteme. And that means to set over a thing. Um, so an elder, they're, they're an overseer. They're set over people, over groups. Um, so in the New Testament, you see this, large, smaller, large households. There's a manager who feeds, who oversees the workers, the investments, who judges disputes. Like, that's what this term means. And even if you look at the life of Joseph, I know we just read through um, Exodus in the Bible reading plan. Joseph, he, he was an overseer of Pharaoh's house. Like that's, he was an elder in a sense of Pharaoh's house. He managed all the details. He made things were order and order excellent and to the standards of Pharaoh. And now of course we're to the standards of God in, in his house with his people. And so it's, it's a high calling. Um, and it's something that how many, of you know, you can't be a self-appointed elder. You can't just come and be like, Hey, I'm an elder. Look at me guys. Like, it's like, no, that's not how it works. Like God anoints and calls elders. And he, he commissions men to commission elders to, in their position. But we should all aspire to the attributes of an elder. And, and many of us may be called into that. I think more than actually think. Like sometimes we take that term, we just think, like kind of like just the, the office of an elder when we see elders at different churches. There's a function of an elder that you are called to function in in your office space. Like you're called to, to operate in that function. Maybe not the office, but the function. And so I want to encourage you to aspire to that, to take these to take these attributes and really like ask God, form me, shape me, make me blameless, Lord, that this wouldn't just be a nice idea. God, would you make me love things that are good? Make me, make me cherish, have me walk in holiness as you were holy. Like really pray through these things be, be, because it, these aren't just nice attributes. Like these are the things God calls us all to and when we operate in them, he, he, he can use us. And I just feel the urgency of the hour, just as Paul did. There's people coming into the kingdom. Will there be elders to actually help administrate and put the houses of God, the churches of God, and, and even other things of God in order to receive the harvest? 
Some of you today, you're gonna get a vision for this and you're gonna be ready when you get called, when you, when you get the Titus phone call from Paul saying, go to Corneth. You Go there? Yes, go there and get things right. God's given you wisdom and, and discernment. You've been walking with me as a spiritual dad. Now go and do the, be a father yourself. All right, so I'm gonna keep reading. We're gonna go to Titus uh, in verse nine now, verse nine through 11. So this continuing to talk about eldership. Um, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Elders must hold firmly to the trustworthy message so they can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. That word sound in the Greek, it means to be well, to be in good health. It's, it's healthy doctrine. Doctrine is just teaching. To hold to healthy teaching, healthy doctrine. Christians, the way to talk about it is Christians whose opinions are free from any mixture or error. That's the word sound. Free from mixture or error. One who keeps the grace and is strong. That's, other, that's another way to phrase that word sound. Sound doctrine. So people in Crete, um, they're, they're primarily pagan. I mean, is it, it was very much a pagan Greek mythology, Christ, uh, Jewish mysticism, um, a, lot of, a lot of things going on there. And basically what they had done is they just attached Jesus to their culture. So it was just like, we, we've, already, we've already got like our lifestyle and who we are. We're just going to sprinkle Jesus in a little bit. And we'll put him on the top. And, um, but how many of you know that didn't work? Like how many of you like tried to follow Jesus and you didn't want to leave your old life or the things you did? <laughs> Some of you are like, oh man, yeah. And maybe you're still in that tension. Leave the old behind, like leave it, like be all in. There's only one way to be with Jesus. It's all in because the middle ground sucks. Like I'm telling you from living it, it's terrible. Like there's no life in it. And because your hope is mixed and your lifestyle is mixed, but, but he's saying to them, there can be no mixture. The sound doctrine, and part of your job as an elder, he's saying, is to make sure that it's sound. And not only to make sure what you believe is sound, but to refute those that are speaking nonsense. I, I'm working on this with my kids. I, I'm trying to teach them what's good. I'm trying to teach them the word of God. But I don't just want them to know what's true. I want them to know what's not true. And I want them to know how to destroy things that are ungodly, that are evil and vile and wicked. Because it's a love for good. A love for good means a hate for evil. And I'm not talking about hating people. I'm talking about hating evil. Things that are wicked and vile try to destroy people. And so we love what's good and we hate what's evil. And so what's going on at that time? There's this whole group of teachers. Actually, I'll go back and read it. All right. So starting at verse 10. For there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. We don't have a small group called the circumcision group here. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. Um, they must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching them things they ought not to teach and for the sake of dishonest gain. These people are doing it because they want money, because they want something for themselves. And so he's saying, you need to refute those people. You need to silence those people because the truth of God needs to, needs to bear weight inside of people in your church. 
And, and so he's calling them to refute the things of darkness. And the circumcision group, essentially what they were doing is they were trying to, it's kind of what Titus was saying um, when he was at the council in Jerusalem. They're trying to get people in Crete to basically go by the Jewish traditions and say, no, you need to be circumcised, you need to do this, you need to do that. They're basically trying to get you to work for your salvation. If you do these things, then you'll be good with God versus like by faith through grace, like we, we receive our salvation. So they're, they're turning, they're, they're, and grace is a theme you're going to see throughout this book as well. Grace and hope are very much interwoven into this book. And so he's saying, no, 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 that's, that's false teaching. You need to refute it, and you need to preach what is good and sound doctrine for the people. There is so much confusion in our current culture. Like, and it's not just for pastors to clean up. We're all called to clean it up. Like, we're all called to know, to have sound, to know what the word says. So we're not just believing things just that the culture is throwing our way. And they may make sense to us. If they don't make sense in here, throw them away. Like, it, it's got to be rooted in the word. And that's why we have to know the word to be elders in the church, to be stewards of any place that God has called us to, or the culture will eat you for breakfast. It's just, it's just true. Um, so the Cretans, they're, they're, um, they're listening to lots of not good teaching. So I would encourage you today, I want you to do this for me. This is a homework assignment I just made up right now. Um, I want you to go home or maybe even right now and think about, is there, is there not sound or healthy teaching that you're allowing into these ears? What are, you, what are you letting in your ears that is not sound or healthy? Because how can you lead somebody? How can you aspire to an eldership when you're letting not sound teaching come into your ears? And I remember as as a season or so ago, I was like, I was going around talking to people and I, I, I realized, oh my gosh, I'm literally just regurgitating things I heard on some podcast. I'm regurgitating some political news that I, that that's all I'm saying. I'm just spitting out what already went in these ears and it's not even, it's not even constructive. It's not kingdom. It, it's just a bunch of noise. And so some of us, we got to clean out the noise if you want to be used. Like, like to expect to, God's going to have you steward and oversee these different things he wants to do. And we're letting like all this nonsense like roll around our head. And it, it, it flows out of you. If you're reading the word and you're praying and you're, and you're in it, worship and you're in church, it flows out of you. But if you're listening to all this other stuff, it, that flows out of you too. And so I would challenge you, like, really take it to the Lord. Pray about it, because there's things you got to pull out of your ears right now. Like, if you, you, you got a bigger calling, you got a bigger anointing, and that stuff is not helping you. So I'll say this last point, and then I'm, I'm about to close. I, I think there's something, too, with um, being able to ref, refute um, being able to refute others, it, it's not just an intellectual sort of um, thing. Like, we, we view it that way. I think we're in the West, too. We're used to, like, debates. And, and, and I think we should be very intellectually, like, I think we should know the word. I think we should be thorough in what we teach and what we say. Our minds should be renewed, for sure. But one of the best ways to refute somebody is how you live your life. Like, and that's really a lot of the attributes that talks about being an elder is to, to live your life in this certain way, right? One of the, I didn't even mention it, one of it is self-controlled. To live a self-controlled life. Like in this era, that'll preach. <laughs> if you live self-controlled in, in the era where information age, you can listen to, you can do anything. Like, you have so many options, but you live self-controlled. 
that'll, that'll declare that you're living for a kingdom that's not of this earth. You're, you're rooted and grounded in something that's way bigger than these temporal pleasures that are presenting themselves to you. And so I would encourage you, one way to refute darkness, don't just intellectually break them down. Break them down with your life. Let the love of God bear weight on people. Just love them beyond their arguments and watch Jesus win their heart. Worship team, could you guys come on up? Um, I, um, I was talking with my daughter, Fern, the other day. She's seven years old, and she's just, she's like a little scholar. I'm telling you, she's like, like going to be a future theologian or something. Um, she's coming to me, and she's like, she's been reading through her, through her Bible, and she's like, you know what, Dad? I noticed something the other day. I was like, well, Fern, what'd you notice? She was like, you know, people in the world, they sin a lot. I was like, really? And she was like, yeah, you know what else? What? I sin a lot too. <laughs> I was like, really, Fern? That's fascinating. So the world's full of sin and you have a lot of sin in your own heart. She's like, yeah, I don't understand why Jesus said it's finished. Because it's not. <laughs> She's like, sin's still, it's still in my life, Dad. Why did he say that? And so I was like, all right, well, like, let's talk about sanctification. Let's talk about God's grace on you now to walk in freedom from the sin that still wants to own you. But you, there's a grace every day. God gives you grace, and you're being conformed and changed in his image. And so I, I'm trying to talk to a seven-year-old about these, you know, deep. But she brought it up. It was, it was what she. But I want to just on that note, and we're going we're gonna to finish with Titus uh, verse 12 here. We're finishing the chapter. Verse 12. And now we talk a little bit more about Crete. He's talking a little bit more what's going on in Crete. And let me tell you, there's not good things. There's sin going on in Crete. I'll give you the spark nose right here. All right, verse 12. One of Crete's own prophets has said this. Cretans are always liars. They're evil brutes. They're lazy gluttons. You think he'd be like, but I prophesy the different. I prophesy differently. No, he says, this saying is true. <laughs> this is real. They're all those things. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith. Pay no attention to Jewish myths or merely human commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and their consciences are corrupted. And they claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Those are hard words. This is a hard place. So Crete, in a sense, is this unsafe, violent place at the time, full of mercenaries who basically would do anything for money. If you give them money, they'll do it. And it's essentially like a pirate culture. I mean, it's a port town, lots of ports. It's like a pirate culture. And so this is the place Paul is sending his spiritual son, Titus, to go. And so even though he's saying these hard words, I want to feel the grace in the message. He's calling him to go. Go in the midst of those people and establish your church. Refute, refute the lies, refute the nonsense, but these are the people that God wants to touch. These people. You mean the people who's, who corrupt and they're just full of corruption and their minds are all distorted? Those people? Yeah, that's where I want you to go. Those people. Some of you today, I want to remind you of those people that you're called to. Yeah, those are the people God wants you to go to. 
And you might have to silence and rebuke some things. I mean, there's some hard words that may need to be said for sure in love. But those are your people. And some of you, you might be here today and saying, I am that person, right? I, I have been just overwhelmed with like all these things. Like I feel my mind's corrupted. I feel, I feel my life is, is full of sin and corruption. Well, I want to say like what I said in the beginning, that, A, this is a place for you. We're following Jesus together. We, we all have our stuff. And B, I want to give you hope that you're here today because God wants to reach your heart because God wants to give you that eternal hope that Paul's writing about. It's, it's not just for those that have been at church a while and understand the things that, understand everything I said. You might even understand half the things I said, but I want you to hear this. God has called you to this eternal hope and it's in Christ. And no matter where your life is, when you come to him, he will clean you up. You don't have to clean yourself. He'll come and his blood will cleanse you and you'll be right with him and you can walk with him even where you're at today. But he will call you home. Everybody stand for me, please. Father God, we come before you today. And we are asking, Lord, would you encourage us today in our faith? Just as you sent Titus to strengthen your church, would you strengthen the church in New York City today? Would you strengthen those here in this room, Lord, who are seeking to be elders for your kingdom, Lord? They want the function and maybe even the office of an elder, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would give them that vision today, that they would not discredit themselves. Lord, I pray that they would find spiritual moms and dads and if they already found them, Lord, I pray that they would double down. I pray that they'd be honest and open, transparent, that they would say, I'm all in. I want to be used for the kingdom of God. I know the kingdom works like family. So God, make me a son. Make me a daughter. Send me where you're going to send me. I'll answer the door. I'll go where you go. So Lord, I pray today, would you, would you keep our hearts humble? Would you keep us postured to walk as elders, as leaders in this city, Lord, for your glory? God, I pray you would burn out anything in our life, God. Burn it out. Anything in our life that's just a distraction in the ears or of the eyes, Lord, that would take us away from this high call that we have in God, that would, that would diminish how we even see our, our, our purpose and our value. Even today, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, let your grace challenge those places where we felt shame and condemnation, that we would run to you, repenting of our sin, repenting, being open, even to our spiritual moms and dads saying, oh, I've sinned against God, but I want to be used by him. So God, I pray today, would you rend our hearts, Lord, keep us open, open, free of shame, free of guilt, running to you. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at LifeCenterChurchNYC.